Hello, hello, and welcome to the Curvy Geeky Fangirl Podcast, aka Curvy Geeky Fangirl Recaps. I am Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I basically just go over all the TV shows and films and or books that I've read and or watched throughout the week that are all geek and nerd related. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and of course my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. You can find this particular podcast on the Anchor app in iTunes, Google Play Music, Pocket Cast, and Stitcher. So I'm all over the place in real life and, and for this podcast. So yes, so all of that is happening. Uh, so the TV shows that I'm gonna cover this week or for the, this past week that just kind of finished up here is going to be the Legends of Tomorrow finale, Black Lightning, The Return of the Flash, The Expanse's premiere, their season three premiere, uh, the Netflix drop of Lost in Space, and I, I've got a little bit of a rant in regards to a, a, a Taiwanese idol drama called My Dear Boy that I'm going to go into. And also, I'm going to do a really fast recap of the latest episode of My Hero Academia, because I am down with My Hero Academia. It is one of my favoriteest shows. I'm currently reading the manga, so manga, manga, that's going to be a thing every single time. So all of that, I'm going to be talking about all of those things. I get into spoilers, so just in case you've never listened, or this is your very, very first time coming across this, I get heavy into spoilers. So I highly recommend you pause it here, go check out the shows that I just mentioned that I'm going to be talking about, and then come back, because I'm not afraid of spoilers, and we get spoiler heavy in these discussions. So that being said, I'm going to kick off things with the Legends of Tomorrow finale. I've got a lot of comments and a lot of feelings right after this. Okay, jumping right into Legends of Tomorrow's finale. Whoo, there was a lot of things that went on in this finale. The campiness was up 240%. There were some things that ended in a way that I wasn't quite sure why they ended in the way that they did. So let's let's, let's jump into it. So oh, one of my biggest takeaways, uh, that uh, ridiculous uh, goodbye scenarios we got. So Rip, uh, basically died on this last episode here, and Amaya has gone back to Zambezi. I didn't know how to feel about the Rip departure, particularly. He wasn't really in the season. Uh, it's known that the that Arthur, the guy who plays Rip, is primarily located in the UK, so it wouldn't be that big of a leap or a stretch of the imagination for him to not be a part of the show anymore, because he's probably doing work back home. I'm just not sure why we needed this huge like goodbye of his. Like, not only that, but it didn't even unless it, the only purpose of it was to stall Malice, as we found out is the demon's name, or was he really trying to kill it? Like, I have a thousand questions, but whatever, whatever. Legend. So Rip is gone. R.I.P. Rip. A lot of play on words there. There's a lot of play on words. Also, they left it wide open. You don't see a body. This is a time travel show. And he was basically surrounded by time travel energy in order to stall and or destroy this demon. So it's entirely possible that he's just Doctor Whoing it right now and is in another part of time and space. Entirely possible. So goodbye, but not goodbye to Rip. 
Also, goodbye, but maybe not goodbye to Amaya. So we got uh, Amaya's, finally a closure to Amaya's crazy, ridiculous storyline. Like they they plucked her out of 1942 back in like season two uh, when she was part of a different League of Heroes, right? And she, well, I guess they were trying to mirror what happened in 42. So when we were first introduced to Amaya, she was involved in the leader of the old crew she was with. And then he died. He was brutally murdered. And according to the rest of that timeline, she eventually makes it back to Zambezi, has her kid, tries to pass down her uh, totem, doesn't go well. Zambezi gets totally taken over by warlords. Yada, 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 craziness. Vixen comes out of that. Instead, with this one, so we had Amaya completely commit to totally changing history in regards to her, her homeland, her village. Uh, she gets her daughter to take up the mantle of being the next totem bearer. They're able to stave off the attack that happens to the village. Uh, we, learned out, we learned later in the show that that had profound effects for her granddaughter, who's now alive and well, and in a vixen costume. So... Okay, um, yeah, but then we also get this really, oh, this goodbye. So in her and Nate, they've been pushing this like forbidden love story between Nate and Amaya for a while, and we get a goodbye between the two of them. And again, it could, A, as I've said over and over in my these podcasts, I don't care about Amaya and Nate being a couple. I really don't. I'm not invested. I don't, I could care less as to whether or not they stay together or don't. It's already been confirmed that the actress who plays Amaya, uh, Miss Maisie Richardson Sellers, she's coming back next season. If they get green lighted for an, a new season, she's she's gonna be back as Amaya. So why did we need this goodbye? Are they plucking her out of a different timeline maybe? Is she gonna be portraying like a different descendant of Amaya's maybe? Many questions, but whatever. We finally got a resolution to her drawn out storyline. She's back in Zambezi, presumably to get down with whoever this man is that's going to be able to produce the granddaughter that is now on good terms and alive. We got that. Um, we also got a ran another random kind of love storyline between Jonah Hex and Zari. Okay, I'm not going to lie. This kind of went over much smoother for me than the Amaya Nate thing. But it was also like, what? Like they get to the old West, which is supposed to be a period in time uh, where they're not supposed to be as easily tra traceable by malice. Of course that ends up not being true. But Jonah Hex gets involved because why not? It's the West. And he kind of takes a, a liking to Zari and Zari kind of feeling him too. And they have like this little flirty banter and they have moments where they're like in, in each other's arms randomly. It's very innocent, very cute. We get it. I am uh, super conflicted when it comes to Jonah Hex. A, I've, as I've said before in a previous podcast, this is a character uh, who fought for the Confederacy. So there's that. He is a Confederate soldier who then gets cursed or something. Something strange happens. And I know overall, probably fans of the comic will tell you that you know, it's not so much about him being a Confederate soldier as it is about him kind of going into his own path, his own his own way. Uh, but uh, for me, it's very much the fact that this is a Confederate soldier. 
doing all of this, especially in the day and age that we are in right now. I also found it very interesting that the show does not touch on this at all. You don't know that he's a Confederate soldier. It's hinted at in his uniform, but even then the uniform colors are so muted. It could be anything. And they also just don't touch it as a topic. They don't talk about it, period. It's more addressed that he is a cowboy from the Western age. That's how they portray him. He's a sheriff in a Western town. That's how they portray it. They don't portray him being a Confederate soldier in the 1800s in the midst of the Civil War era. So there's conflicting feelings uh, with that. But other than that, uh, it's... It wasn't super distracting enough that I didn't appreciate the cute moments we got between him and Zari. It's always nice to see Zari do something other than scowl. So that was cute. That was a cute little side story we got. Jax returned. I don't really know why he returned. It was great to see him other than being able to see Jax again, which was wonderful. I'm not exactly sure why we needed him to come back for this episode or this finale. Or maybe that's just the deal they, they worked out with him because he was pretty much in most of the season, minus like two, three episodes. But um, they have him come back. He tells them it's been like five years since he's left the Wave Rider. Okay, sure. And, um, but, other, but also, he also has no special abilities. They literally just picked up a person and brought them back to fight. Because sure. I mean, they show him kind of holding his own, but he ends up having to like get saved. A couple times because he has no special abilities. It's literally just a regular person. I didn't understand why we needed all of that. Like why why was that required? But but we did get Jax. We did get a Jax return. So yay. We also got a Bebo return. If you watch Legends of Tomorrow, Bebo was this little toy that talks. It's very much tickle me mo esque. And uh, there was a whole episode where these Vikings thought he was a god because he accidentally traveled in time and there was a whole situation and he was there. Um, so the team, they all have, after they get all their totems together, uh, they find out that what they've got to do is merge the abilities of these totems to create like an ultimate warrior to face Mollus. When they make their first attempt, it turns into a crazy goo monster and uh, Roy has to destroy it with fire. Then <laughs> they try it a second time to face off against Malice and they turn into Bebo. And it is the campiest, cheesiest thing of a finale. It's literally a blue Muppet chasing after a hardcore CGI demon in a field. And that's how that's how we ended this show. I am a fan of camp. I am a fan of cheesiness. But even this was a bit much for me. It was like they were like, we give no fucks. We do not care what anybody thinks about this show. We're throwing it in. I felt like it was a complete trolling of their audience of like, yo, you guys want to pick apart things? You want to talk about stuff we're not doing? How about a Bebo finale for you? There you go. You're welcome. That's kind of what it felt like. So... Interesting to see where they go after this. I mean, they did tie up the season. I mean, they tied up the season. Even if we don't get another series or another season, they closed up everything pretty well. I mean, the roundup is that Damien is dead. He became, he ended up being the body for Malice. And Malice made it very clear that once he takes over that body, that body is gone. So Damien is supposedly gone, gone. 
Nora is free. Her and Ray have a strange connection. Are they playing heavy on the fact that that's his real life wife? Yes. Yes, they are. Uh, so they are having like a kind of bonded relationship type of situation. Mind you, uh, he met her or really got to know her when she was a child. It's still really creepy and gross. So there's that. Uh, with Nora, you know, they catch her. She does kind of help them fight off against Malice, but she ends up being taken by the Time Bureau. They go to, you know, take her to Time Bureau jail or whatever. And Ray gifts her with something to help her get out of Time Bureau jail. It's implied that that's what that's for. Why? Why? Was there another scene we didn't see where her and Ray like became bestest of friends or something? Or she showed him that she wasn't the crazy daughter of a man who literally tries to take over the world all the time? Sure, I believe it, why not? Okay, yeah. Uh, but we also got Sarah and Ava back together. I, sure, they were on a break of all of like a day and now they're back together. They are one of my favorite couples though, so I'm glad that they're back together, but I also didn't really believe that they were broken up. So, yay, I, yeah. And uh, that was it for Legends of Tomorrow. Like that, this was the craziest, strangest finale. It gave us answers though. Didn't lack on the cheese and camp. I just didn't really care for a lot of everything <laughs> that happened or how they tied it up. And now I've got more questions like, who else are they gonna be introducing into their series for the next season if they get greenlit for another season? We've got Wally as a newcomer. Rip is gone. For all intents and purposes, Amaya is gone. Does that mean we're getting another hero or are they just gonna pick up Amaya exactly where they left her and be like, nah, just kidding. We still need you, so come on back. I have a thousand questions, so. But we won't find out until next year, so. That was the finale. Let me know your thoughts on the matter. Hashtag CGF recaps on the Twitters. Uh, you'll catch me on Instagram if you want. The strangest finale. So after this, we're gonna be jumping into Black Lightning. Oh, okay, we talk Black Lightning right after this. Okay, jumping into Black Lightning. Okay. Okay, so this is still one of my favorite shows on the DCTV stretch that we've got. I really liked where they took us for this this latest episode. You do feel it kind of coming closer to a close. We're going to be hitting that finale at some point. We're very close to May, so keeping bearing all of that in mind. These are my takeaways from the episode. Uh, the Jennifer Pouty tour continues. I still don't really get why Jennifer is so hardcore against having abilities. I mean, they keep telling us that it's because she doesn't want to be any different than any regular kid, but they haven't really established how important it is for her to be seen as regular. I mean, they, they've dropped hints that she was like a star track runner and she didn't want to do that. And then there's hints that like, she's, she's super popular, even though she's the principal's daughter but she doesn't want that either. You know, she's just so over all of it. And that, you know, like she, she's kind of known around campus and now she's got powers, but for whatever reason, she's just like pouty crying, why me situation? And I'm not sure why this is. So that is still going on though. That's still happening. Um, that plays into her interactions with Jefferson earlier in the episode too. Like he goes to, talk to her about something. And I think he ends up talking to her about Khalil and how he's back in town. 
Khalil's back. That's going to be another thing I talk about. Uh, but basically he tells her to stay away from Khalil. And then that prompts her, you know, to be mad. I mean, that's a typical teenager reaction for somebody. Your parent tells you, you know, that guy you like, stay away from him. So, of course, you're not going to. But she also adds that, like, you know, she's glad her mom's coming up with a cure for her abilities. Which, of course, sets Jefferson off just like she wants him to. But um, outside of her being, unless her being pouty was just to set up this one line, I didn't. I don't understand why we still need her to be so super, super sad and cryy. Also, we know she didn't do shit with those phones. At the very end of the episode, Gamby uh, takes her cell phones from her and like pulls out, you know, the batteries and I'm assuming like the SMS chips or something. I don't even know if it's an SMS chip. Is it a Sims chip? So, something to help track the phones. He takes all of those out and like hands them to Jennifer and it's like, you need to run these underwater and you also need to crush them, like throw them, like, put a hammer to them so that they're in pieces so that you can't be tracked. And she, the look on her face when he's telling her this, it's not so much horror that she has to act quickly to help save her dad. It's more like horror that she's not gonna have access to the outside world by her phone. And we don't see her do what he says. She kind of fades off, off off the camera and then comes back in and is like, it's done. We know she didn't do anything with those damn phones. We know she didn't. We know she kept one so she could talk to Khalil or another friend or something dumb because they are writing her to be like this trip, typical annoying teenager. So that's definitely gonna come back to bite them all in the ass. That's definitely what's gonna happen in the Jennifer is the worst tour. Um, I also though, to her credit, a bright point in this Jennifer ridiculousness that we're getting from her is that she didn't blindly follow Khalil when he shows up at her old house. Cause you know, they're hiding right now. So she gets back to the old house and uh, had a lot of questions as to his miraculous recovery and what exactly is happening, especially with the knowledge she's got with the fact that her family's on the run. I did appreciate that she was thinking for herself in that particular situation. A, Khalil's wig is horrible. He's like a dreaded guy for some reason with a terrible wig. I love that she didn't just go, oh, well, yeah, I'm absolutely just gonna follow and believe everything you say. I did appreciate that. I appreciated that she was trying to think for herself. But we also know that she's also not really letting go either. Like, like she's sad that Khalil's going down the road he is, and she's very concerned with how he was able to obtain all the stuff he's got. But she's not gonna let that fool go anytime soon. So that's probably gonna end up in some kind of head to head with her finally accepting her abilities, I'm assuming at some point, hopefully soon. But yeah, they kind of laid the groundwork for that with Khalil returning to her life. Uh, meanwhile, her sister, Anissa, AKA Thunder, stays winning. She was doing great this episode. She kicked butt out of Tobias's girlfriend. We found out her name is Cyanide. I don't know if they told us that that was her name before, but in the I put captions on when I watched the episode and that's the name they dropped for her. Like Cyanide grunts. I was like, when she gets dropped to the floor. So she was holding her own against that baddie. Like she was, she was taking it for the team. But Cyanide also really wasn't feeling a lot of pain, which I just have more questions now. Like, like she gets her arm, like got sliced open and she was just like, eh, whatever. And goes back to trying to fight her. I have a thousand questions as to what Cyanide actually is. Is she a robot? Is she a green light project? 
all of the above. I have a thousand questions, but we, yeah, so we got that. Uh, she also came through with helping to save Jefferson. Jefferson gets knocked out by Khalil. Khalil is throwing tranquilizers for some reason. I, I have a thousand questions, but he gets set up with a bunch of tranquilizers. The plan is for him to go to the school to cause a ruckus to get lightning, black lightning there works. He manages to throw a tranquilizer at black lightning, which knocks him out. Um, but then they also get into a mini fight and somehow Jefferson's heart stops. Uh, yeah, sure. So in the midst of it, he gets, he passes out, heart stops, he's on the ground. Anissa comes to the rescue as bullets are flying. She's able to do her breathing technique and harden her body and, and shield her dad from bullets. And she talks Jennifer through using her abilities to help save their dad. It was an, I, I like that, that was a nice tie in that. Jennifer, who's so ambivalent to her powers, is the one that's got to focus and literally use them to help save a life. So that was cool. Um, I didn't think it was the smartest idea, though, that they're both shouting dad. And Jennifer is not in costume. She's in a full uniform. It doesn't take much to find out who her father is or the fact that the next person next to her is also shouting dad. Guys, the masks are already a bit much. Like all of this happening. Okay, sure. So, but... All that went through and that that was really just Anissa in a nutshell, just doing amazing things, getting information that they need, being able to save and stop people, doing great things. Fantastic. Thank you, Anissa, for at least being able to do that. Ooh. Yawning over here. So also, Lynn, I want to give props to Lynn on that booty call attempt. Girl. Okay, so me and me and Lynn, we've gone through it. I've I've gone through episodes where I'm like, why are you here, Lynn? And then through episodes where I'm like, oh, okay, that's why you're here, Lynn. I love that they started off this episode with her and Jefferson kind of getting together. It's not a secret that they both still love each other and they're both still very attracted to each other. There's just other politics and dynamics that keep them apart from each other, mostly on Lynn's end. Uh, but she kind of comes to the realization that like, I'm still I'm still in love with you. I'm still down for you through all of this madness. And it's only been cranked up several notches since we first started. So there really is no point in us being separate. We might as well be together. And there were plans to make that happen. I just loved that she was, she gets home from work and she kind of has a, like this whole moment where she's like thinking, and then next thing we know, she's calling Jefferson and is like, I need you to come over immediately. And he's like, oh my gosh, okay, are you okay? And he gets there and he's like, what's the emergency? And she's in her like booty call outfit and just like, I saw a spider. <laughs> and she slowly drinks from her wine glass. And he's like, you saw, you saw a spider? And she's like, yes. <laughs> but he knows what's up and they have a whole little makeup. So that was cute. I really did appreciate that. That was adorable. But then Lynn has to go and make me doubt all of this again because of, of her conversation with Jennifer. So uh, she is in the process of trying to help figure out what's going on with Jennifer's abilities, like exactly how it works, if it's going to adversely affect her health, because she's seen what Jefferson goes through. But all her testing just kind of shows that for all, you know, aside from the fact that she can create lightning, Jennifer's healthy. She's fine. There's a, there's not soup. There's not a whole bunch of things that are going on. So in Lynn's head, she's thinking, well, I'm just trying to be proactive and thinking of ways, you know, to provide like if I need them inhibitors to help Jennifer in case you know her abilities just get crazy out of control. 
Jennifer takes this as her finding a cure for her abilities. And that's what she drops to her dad when they have their fight. And Jefferson immediately takes it back to Lynn. And it's like, I do not need you filling our daughter's head with the idea that these abilities she has is some kind of curse or some kind of disease that needs to be totally taken out of her system. This is something that is going to make her unique and special. And it's not something for her to be ashamed of. And to Lynn's credit, she just stayed quiet and listened to what he was saying. And then kind of internalized that and thought about it and was like, okay, even though I wasn't trying to go about this as you know, a cure-all for what Jennifer's going through, I also wasn't doing much to show the positives of her having this ability. So she ends up having a conversation with Jennifer later about how, no, she's not trying to find a cure, but that, you know, she's she's trying to make sure Jennifer is as healthy as she can be and that Jennifer should be appreciative of what she does have. Like it's not, it's not a curse, it's a blessing, which is very cute. I also purely appreciated that. More than anything, I appreciated uh, that my bae is back. So my evil bae, Tobias, is back, Tobias Whale. Mind you, he's just lost his sister. He's suffered that crazy defeat at the hands of lightning. Actually getting ready to open his club. He gets back in town. He's a little more healed from the ASA. I'm still a little confused as to why ASA is teamed up with Tobias Whale, but maybe we'll get an explanation. Are they primarily using him because he's got the connections to drive their drug, like that's it? Is it just because he's a dealer and they need a dealer in order to continue their experiments? Or was he an agent at some point and he became a dealer and then just stayed in that dealer life? More questions. More questions and or concerns, but ASA has helped heal him after his last fight with Lightning and he gets back into the, his business hardcore. He faces off with Lala about uh, Lala taking over the 100. And he schools Lala. Like there's, you know, Lala has been building it up like, ooh, they're not ready for me. I'm back from the dead. Tobias Wells know what he's getting himself into. As soon as Tobias calls him, he starts shaking in his boots. And then when he sees him like face to face, he just falls right back in line. And it's just like, yes, sir. All right, sir. I'm like, all right, Lala. Okay, sure. Let's see where this goes with you. Uh, also, he's got, Tobias has Khalil under his arm. So Khalil got all of this miraculous uh, medical, I guess, upgrades to his body and to get the use of his legs back because of Tobias. So Tobias had been working on Khalil since Khalil's accident and kind of planting and cultivating the hate against Black Lightning through Khalil. And it was very clever of him to figure out ways to fully separate Khalil from his old life. So he has Khalil... Well, he scolds Khalil when, when Khalil goes to talk to Jennifer uh, just about how he can't trust these girls in his life. Like he doesn't need them right now. He needs to focus on the mission at hand. He also incites Khalil to go back to his high school to get Black Lightning there. And some of the reviews I read said that, you know, that was intentional so that he could further distance himself from his old life into his new one. I don't know how true that is. I feel like it was just very budgetary as in like, they didn't have enough money for another set. So they were like, let's just use the school, I think. Or maybe that was on our purpose. I don't know. So all of that too. Uh, Tobias clearly has plans to rule the world. He wants to take over the essay as well. He managed to kill uh, Jill Scott's character. I do not remember what her name was, but she was the head honcho between the main liaison between the ASA and the rest of the 100. And now Tobias is in that range because he killed her. 
And so now he's also trying to kill the head of the ASA. I'm not sure to what ends, though, that would actually accomplish, because they're supposedly government-assisted. So him killing the head of the ASA, would that put him in as the head of the ASA? Is that how that works? Who knows? Who knows? All we know is that they're still doing Project Lightning and that, oh, Green Lightning, I'm sorry. Oh, no, Green Light. There we go. They're still doing Project Green Light. Not only that, but their original abductees are starting to die. And they they need to find out why. And I guess the key to doing that is through getting Black Lightning. They're still on the fence as to whether or not it's Jefferson, but they for sure think that Black Lightning is one of the kids that they were doing their initial testing on that somehow escaped them. So they wanted they wanted him alive. That was the whole point of going to the school and setting all that up to get Black Lightning alive so they could do their testing. Unfortunately, Khalil got too heavy handed in his fighting and killed him uh, to Tobias's chagrin, but also kind of like, you know, relief. But so, and then they too, they had to skedaddle because things started getting crazier and heavier and Nothing was going to come of them trying to get this body out of the school. So they rolled out. But he was there. And that was pretty much it for Black Lightning. They left it wide open. They got Jefferson back home. He's back and breathing. But he still definitely needs to be treated by Lynn and and get back to his health. He's definitely not at 100% yet. Um, But yeah, so they're still in hiding. The family's still in hiding. They need to figure out what their next step is. Uh, They need to be careful because their dad is... Ooh, suffering some major injuries. And I just I just need them to do family, team family lightning at some point soon. That'd be greatly appreciated. But yeah, so we'll find out. So, um, like I said, it's almost nearing the end of their season, but hopefully we get a heck of a lot more answers than questions. I wouldn't mind a Khalil Jennifer standoff. So after all of that, we're going to be moving into The Flash right after this. Okay, Expanse is back. And this is one of my favorite shows on Sci-Fi Channel. This is probably the only show on Sci-Fi Channel. No, I watch The Magicians. That's also on Sci-Fi. Because mm, to me. Can claps to me that I watch two shows on Sci-Fi. I refuse to watch Krypton. So you guys let me know if it's good, if it's worth my time. I have a slight beef with Superman. It's a little blasphemous. If you don't want to hear this part, just cover your ears. It's going to be like a minute long. My short beef with Superman is that I think he's boring. This is a character that can literally do anything. Anything is near, damn near impossible to kill. Yes, they added little things here and there. He's a boring character to me. Now, I know a lot of people say they love him because it, he is a character that they can fully explore humanity with. Because, yes, even though he's aware that he can do all this stuff, uh, the what lures them into his storylines is the fact is his emotions throughout all of this like why he's driven to protect and all of that that's fine that's cool i just think he's boring he's just very golden boy boy scout i say the same thing about captain america no offense to captain america also golden boy boy scout i'm doing good to do good type of person I, I, I just think those are, those are boring characters <laughs> to me. I like my characters a little more gray area. I like to know that they could, at a moment's notice, go complete villain. And then eventually learn that that's not the right idea and come back. I just like those. Blasphemy over. All right, so into the Expanse. So Expanse has premiered. 
and it didn't disappoint. And as always, this show in particular leaves me wanting more episodes every single time. And I get really mad that it's not in a bingeable format for me. Honestly, sci-fi, why can't we just do a Netflix binge with this show? Whatever. So we get back and they basically pick up right where they left off. Naomi has just, you know, given her big confession to Holden and with the rest of the crew listening in that she, instead of destroying the proto, the, yeah, prototype, the pro, what is it called? Um, I think it's a, I think it's a prototype. Isn't it a prototype? It is a, yeah, I'm going to be like just staring at things. I want to say it's a prototype, right? Yeah, I think it's a prototype, whatever that thing. This dangerous, dangerous weapon type-esque thing. Uh, she was supposed to destroy it. Proto-molecule, uh, got it. See, that was gonna bug me all week. So, proto-molecule. She was supposed to destroy this thing that, that the Rastanati crew had discovered. And instead she sent it off to your friend and my friend, Fred Johnson, over at the belt so that the belt could be protected in the oncoming war. Cause the war is coming. And we see that happen in the episode. Earth has the protomolecule, Mars has a protomolecule, Belt is the only one that doesn't. And the history they've laid out is that the Belt consistently gets screwed over, over and over and over again, like nonstop. They're the hub of where a lot of resources come from, but they get the least amount of respect between these colonies. So she was looking out for Belters, unfortunately. Uh, she also made this decision without any of the crew, like at all. And they also know the dangers of having this protomolecule. Like, they're like, who did, you get, who did you give it to? Fred Johnson hasn't proven himself to be very trustworthy. He's definitely lived up to his agenda of trying to protect the belt, even though he's an earther. But he makes terrible decisions. And on top of that, we see him send out a message to Anderson Dawes, who's a belter through and through but who also makes terrible decisions. Like these guys aren't good guys. So they're just like, it was very much a Tyra Banks gif of just like, we were rooting for you, Naomi. How dare you type of situation. And they ice her out for most of the episode. They don't want to talk to her. They want to hear anything she's got to say. And I don't blame them. I also don't blame Naomi for wanting to help save the belt, but this was her crew. And she totally, totally betrayed them. So we pick up with that, with Holden just kind of like, dealing with a lot of aftermath, like figuring out that his drive to get rid of the protomolecule, what are those things? Beings, I guess, the monsters they were being created with this thing was totally overtaking him. He even compares himself to Don Quixote. And I thought that was a brilliant piece of writing there of him just being so willing to throw himself into doing the right thing but not taking into account that what he's defined as the right thing may not actually be the right thing. So there was that. And Holden gets a nice little arc of eventually coming around and he faces off with Dr. Ming. And Dr. Ming, poor Dr. Ming, all he's wanted this whole time is to find his daughter, May. That's all, he, that's all he's been trying to do from day one since he joined this crew. And, you know, they've basically just kind of ignored him in a lot of things. He's helped them in a lot of ways, but they've kind of just ignored what he wanted for a, a while. Mostly because Holden was being an ass and wanted to get all these monsters killed in one go. But anyway, so Holden kind of sees 
but he's been an ass this whole time. And he's like, look, we promised you we're going to help you find May. We didn't do that. So now we're going to, we're going to help you find May. Unfortunately, it's to the chagrin of Naomi, who's like, no, we need to hide. We need to get back to uh, Fred Johnson and use his protection because, you know, we made, I made that deal on behalf of us. So he owes us. And they were just like, nah, we're going to, we're going to go find May. And that's how the Rosinata crew left it. They're now called something else. I do not remember the plant name that uh, Meng chose, but uh, we'll probably hear it again. So also that's going to be happening. I also love the uh, uh, Avasarala and Bobby team up. They are incredibly powerful characters in their own right. Avasarala especially is a genius. She understands power. She really does. She hasn't always wielded this power correctly, but she understands it. And she, I got to give her kudos to the fact that she's a, she's distinctly aware of her situation. That A, she is a loose end that someone is inevitably going to try and tie up. And B, if she doesn't protect herself and find ways to protect herself, she's dead. She's dead. That's it. So there's a whole part where they're still trapped on the ship and Bobby's in her full mech suit trying to get everybody in out and they get to a point where they can just escape to like this, this other secondary ship that's on, on board, but she stops them so that she can get proof of earn rights, evil doings basically. So she can clear her name. Cause she knows that asshole is going to pin this on her. And he does. There's a whole scene where earn right is talking to the secretary general, uh, trying to convince him to go to war with Mars and basically tells him that like, tells him, confesses all of the evil shit he's done against Earth, but says it was Ava Sarala who did it because he's on right, you know. But he also did this throwaway line about how he, you know, he views her as a mother. And I was like, bitch, you are only like five years away from her maybe, if that, you're not that much younger than her. How are you looking at her as a mother? Okay, sure, anyway. Um, but yeah, so Bobby has to step up, basically. She has to help get them out of this ship, which still technically has enemies on board. And she does a wonderful job. Homegirl is resourceful, and she is damn near in unstoppable in that mech suit, which I felt did a duality of, A, showcasing how brilliant Bobby is, but also what they could potentially be up against with a bunch of Martians in the same gear. Mars doesn't have the same amount of people as Earth does. Earth outnumbers them, but they have incredible tech and they are known for their fighting. They're, they're amazing at combat. So it could be a serious situation for everyone when this war kicks off, which is what Earnwright wanted and which is happening super soon because the Secretary General signed off on it. So that is happening. Uh, but eventually Bobby and Officer Alla managed to get away. There's a second for whatever reason, racing ship on this ship, but only seats two people. Uh, I want to say his name is Kator. I'm sorry, Kotyar. Kotyar and Avasarala have been thick and thick as thieves for a while now. I think she assigned him to help protect her son and that didn't go well because her son died. But he's been with her for a while and this is their first separation. And it just spoke volumes. There's this whole scene where they're looking at each other from across the seal decks. And you see all this emotion in their faces. Of, of It's just a lot of like sadness at their separation, but also like a little bit of hope that they might each survive trying to leave. And 
a lot. It was a lot. It was a beautiful, beautiful little moment. And we've got Bobby and Abisarella now teamed up and out in space. Hopefully they meet up with Rossinati at some point. I wouldn't mind that. I'd love to see how that's going to go down. More than anything, I would love to see how Alex deals with Bobby uh, being there. It'll be another Martian that's here for him, even though he's technically married. But he made it pretty clear in this episode he was a shit husband and dad. So that might just be like a legality. So all that, all of that going on. And that was, that was pretty much it for The Expanse. They covered... They covered quite a bit without it being super overwhelming, but also managed to kind of recap you because they've been on a hiatus. Well, they had their season break, so this was their premiere. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I'm excited to see where this goes. Uh, more than anything, I'm like, I want to know what's going to happen with Dawes and Johnson. Like, they don't trust each other. They're both very brilliant, but they're both kind of like evil geniuses. So I'm interested to see how that's going to work and if this is truly for the belt or if this is for themselves. So also that. So, but I'm moving into, oh, Netflix dropping Lost in Space over the weekend, right after this. All right, so jumping straight into Lost in Space. So as a surprise, I wasn't aware this was happening this weekend, but Netflix, Netflix, that is the fancy term for them. Netflix went ahead and dropped their Lost in Space reboot. Quick background, in case you don't know what Lost in Space is, it is a 1965 sci-fi show that was way ahead of its time in terms of of, of sci-fi television in general. They it, it's iconic. It's a classic. You've got the Robinson family that are stranded on various alien planets at any given episode. And you've also got the intricacies of their working relationship and dynamic as a family, in addition to the two strangers that are on this weird adventure with them. There is Dr. Smith, who's nefarious. This is the villain of the show. He's just always looking out for himself never really seems to be on board with the Robinsons' plans, but he is stuck with the Robinsons. So more often than not, he ends up having to work with them and, and be loyal to them, much to his chagrin. And then you've also got uh, the co-pilot, whose name I don't even remember. So there's that. I should probably look it up. But yeah, there's a another person who's not related to the Robinson family uh, who plays like the co-pilot for them. And there's a little love interest between him and Judy in the show. Uh, I want to say that they end up getting together. No, so my knowledge of the classic show is like a few reruns that I watch. And I usually stopped watching those because the robot in the 1965 version of the show is terrifying. Like Doctor Who 1950s, 60s, terrifying. I give you this, this no, no. <laughs> so, so if you ever see the Cybermen from Doctor Who, like the original Cybermen, terrifying, terrifying. So um, that's all I remember. What I really remember Lost in Space for is the 1990s movie adaptation of it. That was terrible, but I love. So there is that show as well. What is this pilot's name? I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get to it. Don, there it is. Don West. So Don West is the pirate and... Um, or a pirate, that too. He, at least in this TV show, he's a smuggler. Pirate is not that far. So, but uh, basically, they're all kind of trapped with the family. So you've got the main family, which is three kids and two adults, and then you've got two other adults who are along for the ride. One's a villain. One becomes a love interest for their eldest daughter. 
Come see, come saw, come on, come saw. The 1990s version of Lost in Space, like I said, uh, was terrible. So that in that film, that I, I felt like it had a good premise. It's a show, space is involved. I'm usually down for the for all of that. And then um, also at the time, they had a huge star attached to it. And that for me was Matt LeBlanc, who plays Joey from Friends. So he was in it and he played Don West at the time. Oh, but the movie, oh, the movie. So, <laughs> so, but I felt the movie did a good job of laying the groundwork for how it could work in like a modern day scenario. Sure, it lost its way a lot of the time, but I liked this, this rebirth of it because it, it's, it's a good show. It's a great show. There's a reason it's lasted so long. So all that being said, the show dropped and we got to see what exactly Netflix had in mind for it. And it's uh, okay. So it's a ten episode show, right? And for the most part, I thought the chemistry between the family was was great. The, the chemistry between uh, Judy and Will and uh, oh gosh, the other sister—I don't remember her name. Terrible with names. I know no one's name right now. But yeah, so. What is it? I'm going to look it up. I'm talking to you guys because that is super professional. Here we go. We got Penny. There it is. Got it. Nailed it. So we get the kids. Judy, Penny, Will. Will is a genius. This is a kid who is just great, apparently, at like mathematics and engineering and and all kinds of things. Botany, a lot of things. Minerals, ge geology, a lot of things. This kid's a, a small genius. And his main tie is with the robot. And that's where the show got a lot of its classic lines from. It's known for the line of danger, Will Robinson, danger. Like that's what the robot shouts anytime. Danger is afoot to the Robinson clan. Also, it's cemented in this classic series, as well as the f this new take on the series, that the robot and Will have like a, an impenetrable bond. They are the besties of besties, basically. Uh, but I like this. I liked the setup they did for the robot and Will in particular. I like that they they set up the robot as being a part of an invading race of robots. <laughs> so, and that's like the groundwork of like everything that we've seen so far, all, all the information we've been given may not actually be factual. There might be a good reason that there's uh, evil robots chasing people. So that, um, but yeah, so it shows promise in those instances. It really does. But uh, it took a really long time to get to the point for me. Like it, it felt like the show was dragging, like they were, really digging their heels in setting up a lot of this, of the setting. Yeah, of just just trying to get all this background information into us. I don't know why we needed to do that for almost 10 episodes. Like we got a really long run of who everyone was and why they were there and what was happening on earth to get them there with flashbacks and people explaining their real stories. I'm not sure why we were spending so much time on all of that. It took a long time to get to the action. And when we finally got to the action, it was at the end, almost the end of the series. And it just left it open for a bunch of questions. So 
Here's hoping, I'm hoping they do get a second series. It was an enjoyable ride as, as drawn out as some parts were, but I'm hoping the second se season will pick up a, the pace a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. uh, my other big takeaway was, oh, uh, what exactly they were doing with Judy? Like what was happening with the daughter? So when you see the Robinson clan, they are white. They are very white. And then you've got Judy, who quite clearly is not. She's the only melanin in the family. Um, but they kind of left it open as to how it is that she is a part of this family for a while. For I want to say for a good first half of the season, it's just known that A, she's the daughter of, uh, what are their names? Maureen and John Robinson and siblings to Will and Penny. Like that's it. Nobody's questioning it. Nobody's bringing up that she's adopted or that she's a step kid. None of that's coming in. So I was like, okay. And then, so then I thought, oh, maybe they're trying to be like, we don't need to discuss why she's a part of the family, you know, because we have this black girl who's clearly mixed in the family. We don't need to explain how she got their family's family. And I was like, cool show. Okay. I get, I get this ride. Except halfway through the season, they then explain why it is the way it is. There's a whole part where Judy, who's a medic for the show, is helping Don, who recently, she broke his nose, so she's trying to help him set it again. And he's kind of asking about her, and he's like, so how are you a Robinson? Which is my question. And she was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, my, I'm the daughter of my mother and another guy. You know, uh, John came into the picture after I was born. I was like, okay. But... A, why do we take so long to get to this reveal? And B, if they weren't trying to show the importance of this into the story, I guess, in an attempt to show that, you know, everybody's just regular schmegular, why introduce it halfway into the season? So there was that. Also, they, okay, so it could have been me, but I felt like they were subtly hinting that there was going to be more between Don and Judy. And in the classic series, there was. They became a couple. And even in the movie, they hinted heavily that that was what was going to happen. Which, oh, I think they have even have a whole makeout episode. Or not episode, scene, I'm pretty sure, between Matt LeBlanc and Heather Graham. But whatever. They heavily imply that this is a thing that's going to happen at some point. My thing with this was that, well, and this could be because I've watched teen dramas where people are supposed to be playing 15 and 16 year olds and they're like 27. Judy looks like she's 15. She looks like she's 15 and she stays in it and then she's actually 18. They have a whole fight between her and Don where he's like, this 12 year old is going to take care of me. And she's like, I'm 18. But then you see them spending more and more time together and they get teamed up on different on this mission to go get fuel and try to help with everybody else who's kind of stranded. And you see them getting closer and that bonding becoming more and more and that bonding becoming more than just like friendly or even like sister brotherish. It's definitely hinting towards romantic. And it was just really freaking me out. Because it, it, it just looks very Lolita-esque to me because she does look so young. And the guy that plays Don not that he's ancient, but he's definitely older. Like in any other scenario, especially if this was a CW series, he'd be playing her dad and she'd be playing the daughter. So I was just like, it was it was playing tricks on me the whole time I'm watching it. To the point where I had to go and look up their real ages. And there's not that much of an age gap between them in the real life. He's 36 in real life. She's 24. 
not the biggest of age gaps, but on screen, especially when she's with her siblings who are also supposed to be pretty young, they look very, it just looks really weird to me. It was definitely something that was distracting the entire time I'm watching it. To the show's credit, they don't really dive into any kind of love anything between the two. It's really them just kind of bonding for the most part, but it's definitely hinted in there that this is good, like bookmark it because this is gonna be the start of something. So there was that, that was also happening in the show. Um, Parker Posey as, as, Mr., as Dr. Smith, again, other than changing it for the sake of changing it for like diversity and inclusion sake, I had no problem with, with that. So originally Dr. Smith was a man and now uh, they have Parker Posey paying, playing her as this character uh, in female form and playing this villain. Okay, so the thing with Parker Posey, talent, talented actress, love her and a lot of different things, especially the comedies she's done, she's hysterical. But her playing the doctor in this, it felt like watching a robot pretend to be human. That's really harsh, but it really, it really, I, I, I wasn't sure what they were going with this. And I, and I don't think this was to any fault of the actress. I think it was the way they wrote this character because she's supposed to be like this huge con artist type, like this huge survivalist, con artist, greedy, selfish type villain. And she does play that. But then there'd be other parts where like, you know, she's supposed to be doing the con and she's just doing a very creepy smile. And again, I think that's to Parker's credit. You never forget that she's the villain the entire time you're watching it. Even when she's trying to portray this different person and try to get in good with the Robinson family, you never forget she's evil. But it also kind of becomes glaringly obvious that she's evil. But I don't know if that's because we as viewers got so much more information or if they really went over the top in trying to paint her as a villain and it just came across as very loud. So one of those, uh, they, they're, they're keeping her around. Dr. Smith stays a villain for the show. He stays, she stays an obstacle for the family, the Robinsons to come overcome every single time. But also it was very, the other thing was that this show was very formula, formulaic. There you go, that's the word, formulaic. And, and again, you could say that about any superhero or sci-fi series ever. They're all very formulaic. You've got like a monster of the week or a danger of the week type of situation where you put your characters into a crazy obstacle ridden situation for them to overcome. And then they come out like slightly stronger or better or learn something, something. That is usually how things break down. I felt like in this show, it was definitely wash, rinse, repeat for every single episode, with the exception of the finale. With the exception of the, the first episode and the finale, everything else just kind of played like, okay, the Robinsons are stuck on an alien planet. Danger happens. They come together. Win. Next episode. They are stranded on an alien planet. Danger comes. <laughs> like that's, that was like every single episode, every single episode. And again, I keep saying again, like I've already told you this, but if you are familiar with Lost in Space, that was the setup. Every single episode was them being in an alien planet, 
getting in danger, having to get out of it, come together as a family. That was the whole essence of the show. It could be just me being super nitpicky because that happens. That happens a lot, especially when I can binge it and catch everything. But I did find myself trying to fast forward through a lot of stuff because it just it just felt redundant. Like I didn't need to see them in another situation that I knew they were going to get out of just to get to another part of the show. There was an underlying story there in regards to their government and uh, these alien robots that are coming that they kind of were slowly piecing together, snail pace piecing together, but it was slowly starting to form. That was far more interesting than these like monster of the episode type situations that were happening in the show. So all of the, oh, and all to have all of that said, we also had a very nice Easter egg. Apparently the original Will from the original uh, Lost in Space crew was on the show. He played the original Dr. Z Smith. And apparently if you're a hardcore Lost in Space fan, you find out, you know that Z stands for Zachary. So apparently Will's full name is William Zachary Robinson. And it was like a nice shout out to the original and we got to see a familiar face. If you watched the original show, all grown now and, and still being a part of this incredible show, which is cute. I like it when reboots do give a really nice shout out to the originals, especially if they can somehow incorporate some of the original characters cast that helped to make the show as great as it was. So I, I really like when that happened. So that was that was nice to see in there. But otherwise, yeah, that was it. Let me know what you guys thought about Lost in Space. Was it was it amazing? Was it like a great surprise you didn't think was going to happen? Apparently, there were some people who were kind of hesitant about a like grim, darker version of Lost in Space. Uh which I could kind of get. I mean, if you were a fan of the original show, it definitely wasn't that at all. It was campy. It was super campy and cheesy and light. It was light entertainment for the whole family to, to catch. This definitely deals with darker themes for sure. But I don't know. It was, it felt like it was trying to find its footing. So I'm hoping that that's, a, that's what was happening with this first season was, was them trying to piece together exactly how they wanted this to go down while trying to keep it as enticing as it is. And hopefully moving into the second season, that hopefully they get greenlit for a second season, we'll get more information as to what's going on. The most important, the most intriguing part of this for me was the whole like scandal revolving around what Earth did to these robots. They took something or did something to get the ire of these robots. So here's hoping we get more information. They might have actually said what that was. I fast forwarded through a lot of this, guys. A lot of it. It started out strong and I was excited and then I got mad bored and just wanted to find out what was going to happen. So, so yeah, so all that's happening. Let me know what you guys thought about this. And right after this, we're going to be getting into my Asian dramas of the week. I watched My Dear Boy, I watched their latest episode, and I'm going to recap My Hero Academia right after this. Okay, so moving right into my Asian dramas and anime section. So for this week in Asian dramas, really the only thing I kept up with was My Dear Boy, which is a Taiwanese idol drama. 
I'm watching it as the episodes become available because it's airing at the same time in Taiwan. I'm kind of, I'm still not caught up with Iron Ladies just yet, but I'm taking my time with that one. I'm kind of waiting for the season to finish before I like really, really start trying to get catch all these episodes. So I got it. Sorry, I picked back up with uh, my dear boy. Okay, this is gonna be a tiny rant. And okay, so this is a rant that probably every Asian drama person or fan has had at some point or another. Asian dramas are also pretty formulaic. They usually have, especially if they're romantic dramas of any kind, it's usually like you you meet the leads, which is a couple. They have, don't want anything to do with each other. They're like in totally different worlds and those worlds start to overlap and they start to bond and start to feel for each other as these worlds overlap. One usually comes to the realization that they like the other one first and it's a, it's a whole thing about it being a one-sided love and then eventually the other person also comes to the realization that they like this other person and they still don't get together right away. They kind of drag it out with each one thinking that they're the only one that likes the other person until they're kind of like forced into confessing. And usually the catalyst to this forcing is like another love interest pops into the situation and they've got to speak up before they get the, the person they like gets cemented into a relationship or uh, something crazy dangerous happens. Like it's a life-threatening situation car accidents, kidnappings, and <laughs> like any kind of death, threat of some sort. Those usually will be a catalyst too into them saying that they like each other. So they usually put obstacles in the past so that they can string this out because these, these usually run long. They're not like eight episodes. They're like 16, 20, 140. So that being said, I understand that that's the route it's got to take, especially since I'm watching a show that airs at the same time that's happening in Taiwan, which means you get one episode, maybe two a week. Like that's it. That being said, my dear boy is, is I, okay. The reason it's throwing me off so much now is the fact that the first 10 to 11 episodes of this season kind of drew it out like they weren't going to be a couple at all. So we it was a situation, classic, situation in Asian dramas, older woman, younger man, like I said before. And at first I thought it was gonna be like, okay, this younger man is gonna fall for this older woman. Eventually she's gonna like him back, but they're gonna have to deal with like society and other things, other obstacles that are coming in their way, stopping them from being together. That's what I thought it was gonna be. Two, three, six episodes in, it didn't look at that like that was happening at all. They legitimately had a friendship. like. She was helping him and giving him advice in his own love life in regards to a crush she had on a totally separate girl. And he was helping her inadvertently with her own love life with the crush she had on a married man. In addition to another guy that she was introduced to by her sister that on paper was like supposed to be perfect for her, but she wasn't really feeling like they, so they were learning from each other in these aspects. I wanna say like eighth, nine episode in, the love interest for the male lead disappears. She just becomes like a high school crush that never amounted to anything and they end up being friends. Meanwhile, the, the, the lead female character is still in this on and off relationship with this guy that she was set up with. They don't actually legitimately break up until like almost episode 11, 12, 15. So like way later. 
And then I, it feels like it was just recently, I want to say like episode 14, 15, the male lead's like, oh, wait, I'm in love with the female lead. And now we're dealing with his confession and the aftermath of that. Uh, for whatever reason, the obstacles that they placed in front of him after this, this confession of his is that of his mother who went from loving this female lead to now hating her for stealing her son's youth, which again, I'm, I don't understand why that would be a concern. More questions. So, but they're, they're going hard from the mother angle of her not approving of uh, her son falling for this older woman, like at all. For whatever reason, she is staunchly against it. And for the most part, the female lead is like, well, I don't have the same feelings towards your son. I'm trying to do my best as well to distance myself and show him that these feelings he's got is completely one-sided. This all changed in like the last episode. So I want to say that was episode 16, 17, 16, 15. So like episode 15, this changes. So the lead, male, whose name is uh, Ching Wei, he is like, forget it. Everybody's telling me no. But I am dead set on loving this woman. So I'm going to go for everything. And they gave it a tiny catalyst. One of the love interests for the female lead, her name is Zalfe, uh, the married man. Uh, he was giving advice to Chingui this whole time. He had gone into this whole affair with her, with Zalfe, Zalfe, Woo. Uh, beforehand and had ended it, but still kind of fell for her, but was committed to this other relationship. It was a very convoluted thing, but he had finally let her go. He had finally was like, okay, I can't keep stringing you along for the, for the sake of both of us. You're right. We need to be separate. And he knew that the kid was starting to like her. So he was giving him advice, inadvertent at first, and then very obvious later. And then they killed this character off. He just like, goes away in his sleep. He It's random. He gets in the car with his wife after a long day of shooting commercials, falls asleep, doesn't wake up. And they decided to declare that a death. There was a death. He died. It's like, okay. And it shakes up the lead as it would, the female lead, Zalfe, shakes her up as, as it would because this was a love of her life. This was a huge, huge person in her life that had made a lot of changes for her. And it also shakes things up for for Ching Wei as well, or who, Ching Yui, Ching Wei, I'm gonna say Wei, Ching Wei as well, because he realizes time is short. And if he wants to really be with, with Jiaofei, he's gotta do it now. This culminates in like a very awkward kiss outside of her room. That's another thing about these, uh, these Asian dramas that could be slightly problematic on American soil. There's a whole part where it's supposed to be, be played out as like, romantic and impulsive she comes out to take the trash it's pretty clear she didn't come out just to take the trash she came out to like see if he was still by her apartment he is and he takes it as a sign to like make his move so he pins her against the wall of her apartment and kisses her these kisses don't look like they're reciprocal at first it's a it's a thing they do where like the male lead makes this like aggressive move and goes in and the female is submissive and at first is like uh, you know tenses up and is against it and then slowly kind of gets into the kiss and that's what they how they played it out with the couple here and i was thrown because this whole time she's been playing it like 
we aren't a couple. We are together. I don't see you as a romantic interest. And they did a great job of really laying that out as detail for her character. And now all of a sudden she's like, well, maybe yes. And maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe I didn't pick up on the other breadcrumbs they were dropping in regards to her really liking him. But if for me, if it felt like it came out of nowhere that all of a sudden she was like, and yes, I too am in love with you. Also, we are in episode 16. We're in episode 16 by now and they are just bridging this. Taiwanese dramas don't typically go into the hundreds. You're lucky if it even gets into the 20s. Usually it stops like around 16, 18. We're in episode 16 with more episodes to follow. So I'm just like, hmm, what is happening here? Where is this going? So uh, that is my rant for my dear boy. I'm still going to keep watching it because I'm a glutton for punishment. And I'm also still invested in these characters. I want to see if he's going to get this woman he's been chasing after. And if she is going to let him, she's going to allow this happiness to happen. Because even, even though there's some cringy moments, for the most part, she's very much an independent, like, self-created woman then i love that they're playing her as that as this self-made person so it'll be interesting to see if this is eventually going to turn into them being a, a lovey couple happy ever after or if they're going to do like the reality thing where they're a moment in each other's lives and they both learn from this before they go their separate ways here's hoping they become a couple but we'll see we will see also hero academia is still on so season three of hero academia debuted last week and oh, it's the week before, no, last week. And then we had a recent episode just this Friday, Saturday, Friday, around that time frame with uh, episode two. In my rant last week, I talked about how Funimation is supposed to be put, producing the English dubs for this series. And I, oh, blasphemous, I know for everybody else that loves anime, I don't mind the dubs. I like them, so I will watch them. I still watch the subs. I still watch those two subtitles. But I also like watching the dubs. I do, just just because. So I was looking forward to catching the dubbed version of this and it was not available. They did not have it available. And as I said in my previous rant, when I'm looking for subs, I go to Crunchyroll. I don't go to Funimation. Funimation is for dubs. I don't want to say only because they don't have only dubbed anime in their, their repertoire, but they're known for their dubs. So. I was upset. So the second episode that came out, they didn't disappoint this time. They actually had an English subtitling going for it. And it kind of, it was a meteor. It was a meteor episode. Definitely wasn't a filler episode. We kicked it off into the second season. So we pick up with the kids uh, about to go into summer camp. And basically what's happening is the teachers are trying to cram a semester's worth of work into this summer program so that they can get the kids prepared to get provisional licensing as superheroes. Uh, in this world. And I gotta say, again, I really love that they're, these minute details are so prominent in this series. <laughs> like this, These would be real life things you'd have to look at. Like, okay, do you have your license to be a superhero? Like, what was the paperwork? What were the steps in the training you had to do? Like, they actually place all of that into this anime. So I love that we got that. And basically, the kids went uh, off to face the Wild Wild Pussycats, which is which is a literal group, literal group called Wild Wild Pussycats. They meet two of the of the ladies in this group, complete with cat ears and paws. And uh, basically, their training starts like immediately. They get off the bus at what looks like a like a stop, like a rest stop, 
Turns out, nope, this is how we're getting started into the stuff. And they literally throw these kids over the guardrail to fend for themselves in what they call the beast forest. So it's a forest that they own. So it's private property. And they let them know that they can use their powers freely. They can use their abilities freely without any repercussions. And they put obstacles in place of it. So there's all these like dirt created creatures that they've got to face off and beat in order to make it to where camp actually is, which is on the other side of this forest. It was fun to watch everybody get into their geared mode. And of course, Deku, uh, Ida, and uh, Tokyashi? Tokyashi, get right away. Uh, Bakugo also is just trying to murder everybody like he usually does. And, um, <laughs> but they make it, they make it out of the forest. It takes a little bit longer than the time they were allotted. They were allotted three hours to make clear this forest. Apparently they made it a little later than that. And then they get into training and we get a scene with them going into the baths, boys on one side, girls on the other. We've got creepy, creepy perv got kid trying to get a look and being blocked and being inadvertently uh, scolded and then becomes a victim to falling himself, which is a kid who is part of that Wild Wild Pussycats group. Like he's not a member of the group, but I think his aunt is in that group. But they sent him to block pervs from trying to peek over the wall to look at the girls. But so he's on like a ridiculously tall ladder at the top of the wall and he's scolding the kid who can who takes sticky balls off his head. And then in the process of that he falls and Deku has to save him. They're establishing that this kid does not like supers. He's like, these wannabe supers, I don't got time for them. They're a complete waste of time. So he's he's got a definite chip on his shoulder and he's all of like eight. So all of that is happening. We've got that going on. Um, and basically, yeah, they're just getting ready for training. We found out class B is with them too. So class 1A and 1B are at the same training camp getting ready to go. And we know it's just the precipice of something else. So in the meanwhile, the, the villain's crew is also getting together. They're amassing their people together and they've got some sort of mission they're about to launch. We know it's going to be at the camp. We know it's coming. It's coming. They're going to have a face off. I'm interested to see exactly where they're going to take this. Are we going to see new abilities come out of this? I have read the manga, so I know how this particular story kind of finishes, but I'm interested to see how this is also going to be adapted into the anime. They don't necessarily take it page for page. They're very close to the source material, but they don't always keep it page for page. So I'm interested to see how this is going to be adapted and what they are going to take out. Because it's, it's, it's especially with this, this particular story, I feel there's very little to take out. Like you need a lot of these details for the overall of the story, especially especially the end of this particular, this, yeah, this particular arc. So interested. Also, are we going to get the full arc with this season or are, we, are they going to stop it? midway more questions but also good episode definitely better than the premiere i'll give it that which was absolute filler so invested invested and i can't wait to see the next episode this show is just it's it's great it's wonderful i love it so much it's easy to watch it's not super super heavy layered you still have a good time and it's playing on superheroes who doesn't like superheroes that is the golden age that we are in right now so that's pretty much it for Kirby Geeky Fangirl recaps, hashtag CGF recaps. If you want to comment on any of the stuff I talked about, if you want to get more into Lost in Space, especially if you loved it, please hit me up on Twitter. 
I am at Curvy Geeky Fangirl. Take out the A and the I for Fangirl because Twitter has character limits and just hashtag it CGF Recaps and we can get into this conversation. Also through Anchor, if you guys have the Anchor app, uh, you can ca- pick up this podcast through that and it lets you do actual voice recording. So if you do that, then I can put you into the next episode and as part of a recap and talk about you know what you guys actually thought about everything that was going on. Pretty solid week of Geek TV. I'm excited. Not too bad. Not not too bad at all. Oh, and also, of course, uh, Universal FanCon news. In case you hadn't already seen it, Universal FanCon is doing a private screening for Avengers Infinity War uh, on April 26th, so that Thursday. Uh, it is almost a midnight viewing of it, and it's close to Baltimore. It's out there in Baltimore and Woodlawn. So I'm going. So if you're going to be out there, you should look your girl up. My picture's all over the place. It's going to be an amazing time. I'm so excited. I've, I have yet to go to one of these Marvel movies or DC movies in general with a large group of like-minded geeks and nerds. So this will be super exciting to see. And also just to learn from. I mean, I'm familiar with Marvel. I haven't read a lot of the comics, just like I'm familiar with DC. I'm more familiar with Marvel than I am DC, but most of this comes from TV, like TV or film that I've caught and looked into. And recently things I've caught in Wikipedia. So I'm excited to see like what Easter eggs they'll pick up and and what these end credits mean because we know there's going to be end credits. Let's not be new. So that's definitely happening. April 26th, they're doing their private screening. Tickets right now are still up over at universalfancon.com. Last time I checked, it's still there. Um, They said that it was going to be a short... Not short, but it was going to be a small batch of tickets that were going to be available. But when I last checked, they posted everything on Friday. It is Sunday right now. There's still tickets available, to my knowledge. So if you get the chance, check it out. Also, I will be at Universal Fan Con. So that'll be the Thursday before the three-day kickoff for Universal Fan Con, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I will be there to check out everything. I'm super excited. This is going to be my first con in ages. Honestly, it's my first con, period. Because when I was younger... And, and hitting what was San Diego Comic-Con. It was literally just tables of books. So this is gonna be my full like integrated media sensation, you know, convention, fandom convention. It's gonna be amazing. I'm super excited. So all of that, all of that's happening. Like I said, hook, hit me up. Your girl is on Instagram, Twitter. I've got a website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. I still have articles up at fanbros.com. There has been drama with Polyvore and me trying to create new sets, but I'm working around it, I'm trying to figure it out. But yeah, so all of those places, as always, I will talk to you guys later. Bye.